You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Election College, Episode 9, The Election of 1808. Thomas Jefferson retires and George Clinton changes regimes. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey everybody, I'm Ben Smith. And I'm Jason Goff. And this intro always makes me want to learn to play the banjo. Boom, chucka. What? Hey. Oh, sorry. It's all right. I understand your excitement in this moment. I, I just get really pumped up when we have a new episode. Are you ready to get into this thing? I think I'm so ready. I'm just going to start talking about Thomas Jefferson being president. Awesome. Yeah, people like him pretty well. He's the president. I mean, he has a pretty high approval rating, especially after the Louisiana Purchase, which we talked about previously. And man, he's just, he's rocking it. He's doing well. Yeah. And his VP, George Clinton, he's, I mean, he's doing great. Everything's good with him. So we're coming up on the election of 1808. And one of the big things that influences the election is the Embargo Act of 1807. You know how we have all those tensions with Great Britain still? Yeah, I'm kind of familiar about it, yeah. And we still have a little bit of awkwardness with the French. Yeah, they're not quite our best buddies, but we're a little better with them than we used to be. Yeah, and they're just in turmoil, and, well, there's just a lot of stuff going on. So after the truce in 1808 and 1803, it was really short-lived, the European wars, they resumed, and uh, they just went on until Napoleon was finally defeated in 1814. Well, don't get ahead of us, Jason. We don't want to go too far into the future. But yeah, Napoleon is around. He's kicking things. And um, because of these wars that are going on, the U.S. really just isn't on the best of terms with either Britain or France. And you can imagine just not even that long, not even 50 years after the Revolutionary War, the United States people are just fearful that we're going to go to war again. And hey, you are saying that Napoleon was kicking things. I think he was kicking people too, and maybe a few horses. Well, it's possible. I don't want to presume those things upon him. Do you think he ever took his hand out of his shirt? Every day, at least once. I hope so. He had to unzip his fly, probably. <laughs> So, yeah, if the USA went to work, went to work, went to war with either side, it would be really bad because Britain is rocking it on the sea. I mean, Britannia, hey, they rule the waves. Is that like like the encyclopedia? Um, 
No, but you know they quit selling those. Like the, am I dating myself? Thanks a lot, internet. We don't have encyclopedias to look at anymore, and now those door-to-door salesmen don't have a job. Of course, we may not have a job if people can have encyclopedias. Mm. Why are people listening to us anyway? Like Jason said, the the Royal Navy shuts down the European harbors to American ships, and if you don't go through the British ports first, you don't get in. That's what that's what it, Britain says. And France is all upset with Britain, and they declared a blockade of the British. They didn't have the resource to enforce it, but any American ships that obeyed the British regulations, they were seized. So what's the U.S. supposed to do? I mean, <laughs> if, you're, if you're American and you're going to anywhere in Europe, Britain's like, hey, you got to go through our ports first or we're going to seize you. And then if you go through the the British ports first, France is like, hey, we're going to seize you. So the U.S. is unable to protect its ships and its sailors, and the Brits continue to... Do you remember when we talked about impressing people, Jason? Yeah. Yeah. It's this concept of where uh, the British would take soldiers, or I'm sorry, they would actually take citizens who were um, seaworthy, essentially, and pretty much tell them, hey, you're part of the Royal Navy now. You're going to like it. And so they're kind of like kidnapping them and and putting them into slavery, I suppose you could say. It's not really cool. Not no. one bit. And, and the U.S. hates it. They hate it. Yeah. <laughs> so in June of 1807, the USS Chesapeake was attacked and was boarded near Norfolk, Virginia by the British. Getting a little close there, Brits. Come on. Get a little yeah. close. What's up with that? What are they doing? Who's feeding them anyway? Probably the Indians. Are you sure that you want to blame? Well, I'm literally saying the people of India supplied a lot of Britain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so in 1807 the USS Chesapeake was attacked by the British and three Americans died and 18 were wounded. So those crazy British, they impressed four men, and they claimed they were deserters of America. And Thomas Jefferson says, okay, if you are in American waters and you're not American, get out, or I'm going to kill you. And TJ, he's playing it cool. I mean, he's like, get out, but he's not actually going to go to war with these guys, right? But he's trying to hit them where it hurts, and where does it hurt? The wallet. So he brings up this thing called the Embargo Act, which was actually signed into law in 1807. And what they really wanted to happen was that um, all these nations would kind of be in jerks to the U.S. would be hit so hard economically that they would stop impressing the U.S. citizens and respect that the U.S. just wants to stay neutral and just let us do our thing and wear wigs and whatever we want to do. (laughs) And the powder. Right. Okay, so the Embargo Act makes all outbound U.S. traffic where no vessels are allowed to land in foreign ports without authorization from the president, and the trading vessels were required to post a bond of guarantee equal of equal value to the ship and cargo to insure it, and so they complied with all the laws. So, right, and I mean, of course. Anytime you have Americans, you have some people who disagree. And so there's plenty of detractors. And most people really just hate this Embargo Act. 
uh, American citizens hate it, and they think it's doing more harm than good. Yeah, and the money man, uh, the Secretary of Treasury, Albert Gallatin, said it was an administrative nightmare. He said that as to the hope that it may induce England to treat us any better, I think it entirely groundless. Government prohibitions do not they always make more mischief than they than had been originally calculated. And he said, quote, it is not without hesitation that a statesman should hazard to regulate the concerns of individuals as if he could do it better than themselves. So that's just a long way of saying what then? It's pretty much saying this isn't helping. We don't like it. And there's no reason for it. What are you doing? You're hurting us. So war is really it's just in the air. And Jefferson requests to increase the army from only 2,800 to 30,000. And And Congress Congress is like, nope, not going to do it. (laughs) So the whole thing backfired, and the Americans broke the laws like good Americans do. Right, and the British merchants actually, since the Americans weren't really traveling on the routes they had been traveling on, the British were like, all right, well, I guess we can do this. Cool. And really, the embargo kind of undermined the unity in the United States. There had been a little bit up until this point. And then the British were still able to export to the United States by smuggling through Canada, Mexico, or I guess it wasn't Mexico at at that point. But anyway, they were able to uh, still get their goods across. And so you're hurting the U.S. because they're supposed to be obeying the laws and you're just helping the Brits. So domestically, the popularity of the Federalist Party rose immensely during this whole process because they opposed the act. Right. And there was even some talk in New England about, guess what, secession from the Union. I mean, this isn't the first time we've heard about a possible nationwide split, and it definitely won't be the last time. And you can really see some feathers being ruffled here. Yeah, and TJ, he was supposed to believe in limited government, right? Ah, Absolutely. Yeah, but many felt that he had overstretched his bounds by violating the individual liberties. Kind of like that violation that they said back on the Louisiana Purchase. Do you think that the tide will turn? I mean, I'm pretty sure that the fact that the Louisiana Purchase happened, and there was some question about it, did not help um, the opponents of Jefferson think any more highly of him whenever the whole Embargo Act came up. I'm sure it it, uh, did not engender goodwill. Yeah. So we won't get into all the nuts and bolts of it, but let's just say by the end of Jefferson's presidency, the embargo was revoked, and things were not quite as tense there at the end, and his party wasn't destroyed. In the meantime, uh, Thomas Jefferson is still really popular. I mean, he's got all these bad things going against him at this point, but people still like him. And quite frankly, uh, he probably could be president for a third time if he wanted to run. But he's like, hmm, Monticello's looking pretty good by now. And uh, the weeds need whacked and the cows need fed and the chickens. They... uh They've been laying on eggs too long, and I, I just need to get back there. So, Have you ever been to Monticello, Jason? Yeah, I actually went there uh, on my honeymoon. Nice. We, um, wait, was it our honeymoon? No, it was some other time. We went on a trip somewhere, a wedding or something, and we swung by Monticello at the end of the day, I believe, but it was too late to go on a tour. 
we were so close we couldn't help but go, but then you like had to go to the visitor center and couldn't see anything. Someday, maybe, someday. Oh, man, he was a man of many gadgets, and it's pretty cool. Some nice. things you just would have never expected from that time. So did he have a like a pocket watch? I don't know, but he had some crazy thing that told what the weather was or something. I, I can't remember exactly. It's been a long time. Did he have a Game Boy? Yes, he had a Game Boy, and he actually had the first... It was like a beta version of Gmail before oh. all the invites went out. Nice. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, he retires. He's he's pretty much done. He's getting old. He's not feeling great. He's really tired. He's tired of politicking. And Jefferson's ready to retire. So the Democratic Republicans need to come up with somebody new. Hey, I know a guy. Okay, go ahead. His name is James Madison. He is the Secretary of State, and he's awesome, and he's really short. I've heard he's really short. You know, I think Thomas Jefferson had actually heard of him, too, because he actually recommended him for the job. Nice. Even though there were some, there were these large campaigns against Madison, um, a lot of them attacked him and ridiculed him, not, of course, because of his politics solely. Of course, there was some criticism of the embargo fiasco, but... Yeah, like Jason said, he was a small little guy. And Ben and I love people no matter their size. So let's just establish that we're big fans of James Madison. But we're still going to refer to him as the short guy. Yeah, probably. And that, and don't be offended by that, please, because we think short people are great. I heard Napoleon wasn't that short. Did you hear that? I think I told you that. Maybe not. I, I think know. maybe you were the one that told me that. Yeah, I guess he was like 5'8", five, 5'10", five, which was pretty average yeah. at the time. Go figure. Yeah. Well, there were um, there were some other people hanging around like, oh, I don't know, the current vice president. Yeah. You'd think he'd be want to be the president, but nope, he just gets nominated for vice president. I like to think of George Clinton as everything that John Adams wasn't as vice president. I like to think where Adams, his rotundity had his arms folded and kind of was facing the the corner in the cabinet meetings. I'm picturing George Clinton as his arms wide open and saying, hey, I'm vice president. I'm the president of the Senate, and I'm really cool. Do you have any basis for that, or did you just make all that up? I I just think, well, he's got the name George. Uh He's got the last name Clinton. Mm, Okay. And I I just think that, hey, he's liking this deal. Yeah. But you know who's running scared are the Democratic Republicans in general. I mean, they've just had this whole embargo act. Actually, it's still going on at this point. Um, Up until the time Jefferson resigns, it's going on. Uh, But actually, I guess he didn't resign. He retired. There's a difference. Anyway, they're cautious and they're nervous and they're afraid they're going to lose power because of the embargo act. And who's going to take the power? Maybe the Federalist? Perhaps. But just, just between you and me, Ben... Uh-huh. Like I said earlier, TJ's so popular. I think that I think he's going to win the day. For you think he'll pull it out? I, I think so. I think just his reputation and people are like, "We love TJ." That's gonna that's gonna be the thing that gets the Democratic Republicans, and it's going to put them in a good position. 
I think you probably cheated and read ahead in the Encyclopedia Britannica. I'm old enough to have one. Mm-hmm. Well, the Federalists select uh, Charles Pinckney again and uh, his running mate Rufus King again. And they're feeling pretty confident because of the Embargo Act and, and how much everybody hates it. But f- before we tell you what the results were, why don't we talk a little bit about James Madison? Yeah, so James Madison, he was born in Virginia uh, in the year 1751. He's the oldest of 12 kids. Fortunately, uh, Madison's family was wealthy enough that he was able to pursue a life of public service. He didn't have to work uh, manual labor or anything, and he was able to kind of contribute in that respect. He was uh, initially commissioned as the colonel of the Orange County Militia. And uh, get this, remember how we said he was a little bit small? He actually couldn't serve in combat because of how small he was. Huh. Yeah, he's only about 5'4 and around 100 pounds. Hey, you know, speaking of 5'4 and 100 pounds, Mm -hmm. I'm a colonel. Are you really? I am a Kentucky colonel. I did not know that was a thing. Yeah. So I I have this special bond with with our little buddy. (laughs) Well, our little... Our little buddy, uh, James Madison, you know, one of the presidents of our United States. I mean, maybe one of the presidents of our United States, uh, served on the legislature during the Revolutionary War. And he was actually the youngest delegate at the Continental Congress. And he went on to do such things as um, write a lot of the Constitution yeah, and the Bill of Rights. Yeah, he was a rock star. He was hailed as the father of the Constitution because he penned much of it. And he wrote the Bill of Rights, and so he's known as the father of the Bill of Rights. It's kind of like you got the Constitution, that's his one kid, and then the Bill of Rights, that's his other kid. Well, I don't know if he considered them his children, but people certainly considered him the father, and um, so much so that he became a leader in the House of Representatives. Um, He did believe in a strong central government, and um, in the early days, he really was a strong federalist. He believed in that central government. He really thought highly of some of the federalists that came before him. Yeah, and so like a lot of politicians in our day, he, as he became closer with Jefferson, so he became closer to the opposing side, he began to lean the other way. And he actually supervised the Louisiana Purchase. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Um he uh, he didn't back Hamilton's plan, uh, Hamilton being a Federalist, for the assumption of states' debts, and he didn't support John Adams in 1792. He didn't support the Jay Treaty, and then the Federalists are like, "Hey, um, we don't we don't really want anything to do with you anymore." <laughs> He's one of those guys. It kind of reminds me of some of the primaries where it's like, "Hey, I'm a member of this party, but..." I vote against our party all the time, so you should vote for me. <laughs> right, exactly. I'm not I'm not partisan. I do what I think is right. And, I mean, there is a lot to be said for that, not just voting one way because you are part of that party. I can understand that. Yeah. So the Federalists tried to say that he was partial to France, but a combination of letters from France and England insulting Madison for his hard stance against them really helped him. Right. People saw that he wasn't the French lover that everybody thought Thomas Jefferson was. And um, it really helped kind of people like him a little bit more. So do you think we should get into the election results? I think I kind of spilled the beans already, but maybe not. I mean, this is election college, so we should probably get into that. 
All right. Well, Pinckney gets the electoral votes he got before in the last election, plus a few more. And so that's enough to win, right, Jason? Yeah. I mean, it was like 65% to 32%. So, sure. Oh, but that 65% actually went towards Madison. So, sorry, Pinckney, you you lose again. Mm, Some faithless electors changed their vote. And they voted for George Clinton for president. And they were all from New York where Clinton had been the governor. So, oops, a little north-south thing going on. Remember Pinckney? He's from South Carolina. So, what do we have? We have James Madison, our little buddy, as president. George Clinton serving under him as vice president, which is pretty unprecedented, by the way. Yeah. Um, And even still to this day is kind of, it would be abnormal. And off-rides Thomas Jefferson into the sunset. So before he mounts his horse to go to Charlottesville to retire to Monticello, he signs into law the act prohibiting the importation of slaves, which banned bringing slaves into the United States. Yeah, I don't know um, what his motivation was behind that. I mean, he was always outspoken against slavery. He had many slaves, so that's a little bit confusing. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, he tried to prevent more slaves being brought to the United States, which is a good thing, I I would say. Yeah. It's an improvement, at least, but absolutely long way to go from where he was at. He also designed Monticello, as well as other buildings, and if you haven't been to Monticello, get there, because it's it's very cool. I can tell you the Visitor Center is superb. (laughs) Uh, He also founded the University of Virginia, and uh, it was one of the first public colleges. Uh, it might have even been the first. I, I can't honestly remember. Um, but most colleges were religious at that point, or at least religious-based at some point. And Thomas Jefferson, um, despite claiming uh, being religious himself, uh, decided that there should be a school for people who were not religious. And the University of Virginia was born. The Cavaliers. That's right. What about the legacy? The legacy of this election? What do you think, Ben? Man, I think that people were probably pretty bummed that um, Thomas Jefferson didn't run again. But, I mean, James Madison's a pretty cool guy. He he does a lot of good stuff, and and people like him. Yeah, and his wife, Dolly, she was making pastries, and um, I don't think we're going to say any brand names, but her legacy is with us still today, isn't it? It is indeed. Hey, Ben. Yeah. If I were to have a pastry shop. Okay. And I wanted to get word out about the pastry shop. I'd probably have a presence on social media. Okay. All right. You mean like um, like that uh, Facebook thing? Yeah. And if I'm on social media, I don't want to just have text, right? Right. I totally would agree with that. And if I have a picture, I probably need to improve it a little bit by maybe adding a little description of what the item is, don't you think? Well, if it's a picture of me, it probably can't be approved a whole lot. But yeah, otherwise, I would agree with you. So if you had a pastry shop, and you're trying to get the word out about it, and you can't really afford to grab a designer, what do you do? I would go to Canva. Uh, Canva makes everything pretty easy if you can click and drag. And it really is just a superb program in your internet browser, or even on your iPad. Yeah, and the cool thing about Canva is it's absolutely free, but they do have some 
features that are optional. Um, they have some stock photos, which if you had a fa- if you had a pastry shop, you probably don't need stock photos, but uh, there are some design elements that are that are an upgrade, and those are only a dollar a piece. So it's a lot cheaper than some subscription service that might be out there. But if you do choose to spend a buck here and there, we have a special deal for you, our podcast listeners. That's right. Canva has been kind enough to us to provide $10 free to listeners of the Election College podcast. All you have to do is go to electioncollege.com slash Canva and you will get $10 free to sign up. No subscriptions. You only pay when you use something that they tell you cost a dollar. You can't lose. Yeah. So go to electioncollege.com slash Canva. While you're at it, you might want to learn a little bit more about Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, if you need some inspiration for your Canva designs, maybe you can head over to Audible and listen to Thomas Jefferson, The Art of Power. Uh, it's a great book about Thomas Jefferson, and you can go to Audible, which is an audiobook uh, subscription service. You sign up for a month at a time, and you get credits, and we'll give you your first month for free for being a listener of Election College. Yay, Audible. Yay, Canva. Go to electioncollege.com slash audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E, and get your free audiobook today. Uh, that book, I mean, you can get any book you want, but that Thomas Jefferson book is actually um, a long, long book. So if you're really interested in political history, it's a great one to read or listen to. So if you are alive in the time of Thomas Jefferson, Ben, would you write him a letter and just to tell him, hey, thank you. The Louisiana Purchase is great. Yeah, my parents' farm expanded. You're awesome. One really cool thing about the life that we live here in the 21st century is that we can share the love, and it's really easy. And the Phoenix Foundation podcast gave us some serious love in iTunes. They said, it's nice to hear about the birth of the United States in this tag team hardcore history format. That's pretty um, pretty incredible to be compared to hardcore history, by the way. We're cool about that. Edutainment, I think it's called. Check it out. And we appreciate that review from the Phoenix Foundation podcast. If you want to leave us a review, which we would encourage you to do, it helps us out. Uh, it'll help you feel warm and cozy. Uh, just head over to electioncollege.com slash review. And you can leave us a review on iTunes, and we would love it. Yeah, and connect with us. We hang out on Facebook. We hang out on Twitter. Hey, we're even on Instagram. And sometimes we hop on the Periscope just to hang out. Because why not? Exactly. So we're found at all those places under the handle Election College. Well, I think that's everything I have for this episode, Jason. Um, I guess I'll sign off by saying the magic words... This is Ben. And this is Jason. And thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. 
Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.